COVID is still spreading. Don't let your guard down. Anyone can get severely ill from COVID. But your risk is greater if you're over 65, if you're obese, have heart or lung disease, diabetes, or another underlying health condition. Lower your risk of serious illness, hospitalization, and death with the most up-to-date COVID vaccines, including the booster. Learn more at ny.gov booster. Keep more presidents in your pocket during My Carl's President's Day sale. This is a must-shop sale, a sale not to be missed, with incredible deals on more of the furniture and mattresses you're looking for. Not bad, right? And if you want financing, I've got it. I have financing options for everybody and every budget. Same day, local delivery, I have that too. I'm out to make savings history during the President's Day sale on now at My Carl's in New Hartford and now open in Syracuse and Destiny, USA. Millions of despairing men, women, and little children. Victims of a system that makes men torture and imprison innocent people. You cannot shake hands with a clenched fist. Produced by a nuclear exchange would be carried by wind and water and soil and seed to the far corners of the kingdom of God, the The kingdom of heaven. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. We're not saying that planet Earth is coming to an end. We're saying that planet Earth is about to be refurbished, spaded under, and have another chance to serve as a garden for another civilization. Most of the people in here are just your reflections. They're your mistakes. 1776 will commence again if you try to take our firearms. One million of the planet's eight million species are threatened. You are what you repeatedly do. Therefore, excellence ought to be a habit, not an act. Your lives and the credibility of the United Nations is at stake. Epstein didn't kill himself. The reason this is such an interesting time is not only because we're on the threshold of the end of this civilization. They're trying to take you out with bullshit. The experience of the past two years has proven beyond doubt that no nation can appease the Nazis. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die, and the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. In the language of the U.S. Department of Defense, these are unidentified aerial phenomena. Roswell's a very interesting place with a lot of people that would like to know what's going on. Uh, there is very compelling evidence that we uh, we may not be alone. This is the Garden of Doom. Welcome everyone into the Garden, and we're bringing back one of our favorite and one of our most erudite guests, Mike Hilliard from the Red Line podcast, and recently a five-part series called The Green Line. So definitely check those shows out as well. Uh, Mike's coming to us from Australia, where it's 10 p.m. his time, 9 a.m. my time. So, first of all, Happy New Year, and thank you for coming back in. Always happy to be here. It's, uh, I think it's one of the first interviews of the year, so kicking off with a good one. Yeah, it better be one of the first. I mean, otherwise, you're too busy. You need to take some time off. All right, so, folks, we're, we're recording on January 2nd. This probably won't drop on January 2nd, because anybody who's been a long-time listener knows I pre-recorded my first four shows um, already from the last show of the new year to the first show of the new year, which is part one and part two, <clears throat> excuse me, world. Um, and that's sort of segued into 
Arthur two ways because we really gained Arthur three ways uh, and it uh, necessitated itself. But after that, uh, uh, you know, everything's fair game um, as to when things are going to drop. So, so that you have a little context in case the world goes squirrely in the meantime, it isn't Mike's fault. It's not that he didn't know or, you know, A, that, that's not what this show is necessarily about. Uh, but the Red Line podcast will keep you abreast of all sorts of things you need to know, things you realize that you don't know, things that you might have thought you knew. Uh, and basically, it's going to teach you that the world is complicated, messy, scary, and just put in that Hobbesian quote about short, brutish, and, you know, all of that other stuff, too. Um, but interesting. And and this show, hopefully, will be interesting as well. The prior shows, one cleverly called The Red Line, and another one cleverly called The Redder Line, because I'm just that creative. So check out those prior shows with Mike on the show. It's so kind of him to be on this little show, his show, he he won't brag, but I'll answer if he if he's asked. But I asked him last time. But uh, last time we spoke, he was getting between one and two million downloads per month. Um, I cannot imagine got that getting any smaller. And with the green line, it probably doubled. So uh, or thereabouts, even in this slow time of year. Uh, so once again, congratulations for your continued success. We're thrilled to have you on the program. That's his line, by the way. Um, and, uh, it, it really is an honor. It's nice to, you know, uh, you know, yeah, you're a real world guy with a real world following and it's, and I'm a hobbyist and, uh, you know, I'm so thrilled that you said yes once and now it's your third time. And now, now you're like extended family of the garden of doom. We have a, we have a, a swamp tree in your, in your honor. <laughs> a swamp tree, model. that's, that's the best thing I've ever heard. That's right. And that's what makes it all worthwhile. That's right. It's little eyes are still orange. They haven't gotten red. It's its branches are growing talons. They're not quite there yet. It's like Groot. It's it's gonna it's it's gonna grow. Don't worry. That sums up my personality really well. Perfect. We put in the always always right there in the dirt and a bit of spiky in its belly. There we go. We are Groot. So anyway, that was a de minimis Disney. Leave us alone. Um, Anyway, so. We're going to talk about private military contractors, mercenaries, gendarmes, uh, whatever you want to call them, soldiers of fortune. So we have all seen them in movies and TV. Uh, People probably saw the movie The Contractor with Chris Pine not too long ago, where this is the last thing he wanted to do, but it was the only thing that was available to him. Every CIA show you've ever seen. You've got the wet work, the black ops, the really off book box, the in the pocket assets, every British show that you've seen, the MI6, MI this, the capture. They're, they're a lot of fun. Uh, seems like there's a never ending supply of these nameless, faceless bad guys that are super skilled, but absolutely dispensable to our heroes. What is the real story on private military contractors? And we turn to our first and only expert of the program. Again, I'm stealing his stuff. Um, Michael Hilliard, tell us a little bit about PMCs, which sounds like a really fancy name for for brigands. <laughs> so PMCs is a really broad term. I mean, some kind of private military contractors are, you know, quite a lot of what private military contractors do is just escort work. So... You know, quite often they're ex-special forces or they're ex-army you know, quite army officers or they've, they've been in the military previously uh, and they'll just be escorting a very rich banker from the airport to wherever he needs to go and back to the airport. And that's probably what the majority of these guys are doing. And again, it also vilely differs uh, 
between countries. So, for instance, if you take an American PMC with a company like Blackwater, which was Eric Prince's company, um, those guys would operate and do the things that the, mil- the American military didn't want to do. So there are some jobs which uh, the American military may think are a bit icky for them to do or, frankly, are easier to not have on their books, and they are detached from the U.S. military. They're effectively a very separate, you know, they don't get, they get some briefings, but they don't get introduced like other ones. Whereas you look at Russia, where rather than America, there's lots of PMC companies that compete in the private market. With Russia, there is only one. It's Wagner, uh, who's run by Evgeny Prigozhin, who, you know, even though he's not technically in the Russian military, they operate, they operate, you know, side by side with the Russian military. They, he, you know, Prigozhin will sit in on most of these sort of big decision-making processes in the Russian military. Uh, the PMC facilities where they train is right next to where the Russians train. Their headquarters is right next to Russian headquarters. You know, they are uh, almost another arm of the Russian military. Uh, and where you, you know, they're useful for a couple of reasons. One, they have plausible deniability. So what PMCs you quite often use for is kites. Uh, so what a kite is, is effectively, if things get too windy, they just cut the rope. So if you, if you want to go into Yemen and, you know, eliminate someone, give you monetize or eliminate someone or you want to go sabotage something or you want to go extract someone. If you have American civilians or American armed forces caught behind enemy lines or they're captured, that's a huge incident. Whereas if it's, you know, PMCs that are caught behind enemy lines, who cares? It's mercenary, not the American government's problem. Right. Uh, even though the American government may be aware of it at the time. Yeah. The currency, the, so quite often you find that for instance, Russian military guys professionally will only do, uh, you know, use what's happening in Ukraine now effectively is what they do. And some peacekeeping operations in countries like Armenia, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, Russian PMC, Russian PMCs will effectively be operating in Mozambique, Guinea, Central African Republic, uh, sometimes doing things as, as simple as guarding the president because the president doesn't trust his own guys. Uh, sometimes it says as nasty as uh, operating the mine sites. Um, you know, PMCs is a really, really diverse term and sometimes it can be bodyguards Sometimes it's you know hiring these guys to massacre villages because you don't want your your own army to do it. So that really does happen. So they they'll send in a, a squad of twelve people or whatever with extraction sites and all that, and they'll go in and they'll you know whatever gun down a village. I, I assume because that's where a strongman lives or a drug dealer lives or a competing so, warlord or whatever. So yeah, for instance, in Nigeria a few years ago. So Nigeria is quite a, a large country, and there's a bit of a split in the country. About eighty percent of the country lives in the south, and that's heavily Christian, and the north is very Muslim. Uh, and there's always a, you know, a bit of split between them. And effectively, there was a lot of terrorism problems up in the north. They tried sending the Nigerian military to go in, but it gets a bit hairy because they don't want to go too you know, too harsh because effectively, you know, you don't want to massacre half a village and then expect them to vote for you afterwards. Right. Uh, so they did a few operations that didn't quite unlodge everything. Uh, so they hired a bunch of six South African PMCs and they just gave them a blank check and gave them a bit of a, we're not going to watch what you do. And they went very, very harsh and scorched earth and, you know, got the terrorists out of there, but hit a lot of people in the, in the, in the process as well. Um, so there are come times where gump, uh, countries will do that, unfortunately. So this um, but it is probably the minority of what actually happens with PMCs. Yeah, but the, the the tip of the spear, so to speak, are are the guys and, and gals who who do subscribe to the theory that if you want to make an omelet, you got to break some eggs, and you know we'll we'll we'll, we'll break the eggs. Don't worry. Yeah, well, 
again, it's, 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 you deploy them when you have a reason to. So, for instance, if, you know, for Nigeria, for the majority, they're particularly, when I mean, they're occupying an area or they want to take and, you know, actually use the, t- you know, that town afterwards, that'll be right. Nigerian military that goes in because they're, they're far better at it. PMCs are much less worried about the civilian casualties. They'll just break things as they go. Um, and that's a real problem. So it is that balancing act of, okay, do I want to be, if I, my men are caught, what do I do? Do I want that risk? Um, if I know it's going to be high casualties. So right now, for instance, in, in, uh, in Ukraine, uh, Wagner is using a lot of PMCs, or Wagner is a PMC company, but a lot of effectively prisoners, odd guys. And whilst the really good PMCs in Wagner are effectively operating still in Africa and a few other places, all the dregs, the, you know, the, the rejects from everywhere else, are being sent in as, as not cannon fodder, but you know their lives are very expendable. Um, and that way, you know, when a Russian mother or Russians learn that oh, we've lost ten thousand Russian soldiers, that's an impact. But if they go, well, it's ten thousand private mercenary prisoners, there's not nearly the political flashback. So sometimes you will hire PMCs to do jobs because you don't, you know, you know their casualties don't matter as much. People tend not to view PMCs on the same. He was serving his country. It was I oh, was looking for a paycheck. Uh, and that does give you that option as well. So in in the world sphere, there there is our sphere. There's there's probably in the insiders, they probably know who the companies are. There's got to be someone who tracks these companies. Is there some accounting? Is there some like what like what's the number of PMCs that are out there? Let, let, you know, let's forget about like Hinkerton and you know Dunbar armored guards. You know, the, you know thing, things like that. It's really hard to track and the, the trouble here is, is about legality so for instance we, we when we did our big, first big pmc piece we ran this actual scenario with a few with a lot of international lawyers and guys who are experts in this and going okay if i as a company pay a stream of pmcs if i let's say mbp and i hire a bunch of pmcs to go blow up a shell oil rig in international waters or i blow it up in let's say guyanese waters what is who gets charged? Because then you get to the problem of you're hardly going to catch the PMCs on the ground because their operators are going to get in, they're going to get out. You'd be very unlucky to get caught. Okay. So, and even if you do, they'll say, hey, I'm just doing a job. I was paid to do this. And you go, okay, that leads to a whole another kettle of fish of who's wrong, who's right. But let's say you don't catch them. Even if you find out the company that did it so you go okay cool this was carried out by probably a pmc company registered in dubai which is most where a lot of these companies are in dubai it's not a crime so you would go to dubai the emirati government and say hey look i know there's a pmc company that's registered in dubai that's carried out this attack and they go it's not a crime sorry like pmcs are fine no we can't help Uh, and then okay so what about the company that paid you know paid this pmc company to do it and again then you've gone through eight, eight or nine shell companies and you're never going to catch the money either anyway. So it is really, really difficult to actually pin and you know regulate PMCs. And the trouble is that if the guys who would have to regulate it, you might say if the US really wanted to do something about it or the UK, they don't really want to because they also use them. And sure. They also like having the advantage of, hey, I like to use these guys occasionally to, you know, uh, hurt a country that I shouldn't be in or go do something where I really shouldn't have U.S. personnel on the ground, uh, and I can hire PMCs to carry out that job. Uh, and if you regulate that, then the Americans might, even if the Americans were to have a, a you know really, really, you know, really, you know, really pre, uh, you know, 
ambitious president come in and go to do that. There's no way the Russians would ever do it. There's no way the Emiratis would ever agree to it. Uh, and there's no way uh, that the Chinese would ever agree to it either. And it's why that when there was some regulation of PMCs by the Obama administration, Eric Prince just picked up and moved his company to originally to Riyadh and then effectively to Hong Kong afterwards. Um, so it's, you know, it's a really difficult industry to regulate. and It's not one that people want to regulate either. Right. And I imagine you could do the bodyguarding jobs domestically. But if you're operating in another country, are you committing a crime of the United States if you're operating in another country? I mean, that's 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 an issue you know, here in the U.S. with the check fraud or, or Internet fraud. I, I'm I'm an Internet scammer. I'm in Maryland. I'm scamming people in Nevada. Where did the crime occur? I mean, that's where that's where the federal government steps in. But it's a. Uh, you know, you know, it's it's not the same, I guess, here if there's no federal law on it, or if the all they do here is bodyguard. But uh, you know, you send them into I don't know. Let's well, let's use our stand-in state of Jevzikistan. You know, they, they they operated in Jevzikistan and and uh, uh, killed my fictitious brother Stewardistan, and uh, you know, under under Emir Jeff's you know the the Sultan's instructions, did did they? commit any crime anywhere. Um, yeah, it, it's really, you know, for a lot of the places that PMCs operate, which is mostly third world nations or developing nations, um, you know, there's a couple of things. A, the PMC, even let's say, let's say he's escorting a uh, an oligarch of some variety from the airport to the bank of the bank to the airport. Uh, and someone stops his car, he gets out, he, you know, eliminates the person in front of him and then he gets back in his vehicle and keeps going. You know, are the police going to get there in time? Probably not. And most of those, you know, most of the countries these guys operate in, the police aren't armed that particularly right. well. And if you're going as a cop who's earning, you know, not that much, and you're going, do I really want to think I'm going to arrest, you know, very heavily armed PMCs who are already heading to the airport by the time you've got the call? Um, no, it makes it really difficult to, you know, no cop wants to go after them. And you know that if they have committed crimes, so for instance, quite often when guys have done it with Blackwater, but that before the investigation actually been started, they just ditch out of the country. And right. unlike U.S. military, when a U.S. military personnel does this, there can be a court martial. There can be someone to hold them accountable. They're in the military. They have a serial number. Everyone knows what's going on. With PMCs, they leave the country. The company just tears the records up and goes, I have no idea who that was. It's one of our employees. It's too hard to find out. We'll put an internal investigation and we'll get back to you. And they just let it you know, go under the radar. And that's, you know, you get it. It comes down to that. They can get away with a lot more because of it, and soldiers earn a lot more when they do it. So, like everything else in the world, generally, most people in the know know who the big players are. You said Wagner a couple times. Wagner, I'm I'm only familiar with the name because of our mutual friend, the you know the Eastern Border. He talks about Wagner pretty much every show uh, <laughs> these days. So, shout out to Kristaps uh, over at the Eastern Border. Check out his work. Uh, it's it's. Pretty important, and he, he wears his stuff on his sleeve. He's he's from Latvia, and he's oftentimes on or behind right. the front lines. Yeah, um, so it's an interesting perspective. Anyway, but he talks about Wagner a lot. You've mentioned Blackwater a few times. I think they either changed their name or they or or they they're had. Now, a, they're now frontier. They're now frontier services group, uh, and they probably changed the name again because they all change their names all the time. And it is really because they know that effectively any time that. A, a PMC company becomes big enough that they start getting journalists' attention, they'll change the name because they know that, you know, it is really difficult to get people 
you know, the only one effectively anyone remembers is Blackwater because they went through trials and right. yeah, they changed their name immediately. Right. Uh, and Wagner and Wagner doesn't change their name because they're Russian and they right. are not just a private company. They're effectively a state monopoly. Right. Um, they're, they're yeah, basically the, the, the ninjas of the mafia there. So they, well, well private, private military companies are illegal in Russia technically. Uh-huh. Um, so, which is a nice way of saying anyone who has a private military company, apart from Yevgeny Prigozhin, um, who used to be Putin's chef and used to hot dogs in St. Petersburg <laughs> before he became uh, head of Wagner, weirdly enough. Uh, anyone apart from Prigozhin would be arrested. Prigozhin can do what he wants. Okay. So, he sold hot dogs in the park. Mm-hmm. He was a hot dog vendor. Yep. Like- he sold hot dogs and then he catered an event for Putin. Uh, Putin liked his cooking. Uh, and then he was willing to look the other way on a bunch of stuff, and Putin brought him into his circle as kind of a, a personal chef. And then, you know, Putin gives a lot of roles away, not because you're good, but because you're loyal to Putin. So he knows that, you know, I can give the head of the Wagner services to Prigozhin and know that Prigozhin will never say no to Putin. If Putin says, I want you to chuck 80% of your men into a blender, he'll go, no problem, sir, let's get that done. Um, and that's why Prigozhin was given that job because he's very loyal to Putin. He's played the right cards. He's helped the right people. And in power struggles, he's deployed Wagner to deploy out places. I so, mean, yeah, he's, yeah, that's why he has the job. Well, there's a metaphor something in how you make hot dogs and sausage and, and, and this whole <laughs> meat grinder thing, but we're going to leave that yep. one alone. That story itself is amazing. I mean, he can't possibly be a military tactician. So obviously someone else is running the strings. So, uh, or at least running the ops. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I, does Putin handpick his generals or lieutenants for him or whatever you'd call them, his executive vice presidents? Yeah. So you have a lot of very high up ex-Russian military guys up there. And as I said, they also do coordinate with the Russian military. You know, when Prigozhin is deploying troops to somewhere, he's doing it with the blessing and usually the advice and, and military support of the Russian state military. Uh, and that's the difference, you know, when it's, uh, when, you know, Eric Prince or another American PMC does operations, they don't often have to consult with U.S. military, unless the U.S. military is subcontracting them. Businesses need to think beyond today. That's why ADP uses data-driven insights to design HR solutions to help your business find more success tomorrow. HR, time, talent, benefits, payroll, ADP, always designing for people. Whereas Prigozhin does nothing without the approval of, of the Kremlin. Now, I, I know that, uh, or well, I know from Chris that, uh, you know, a lot of the, the stories we're hearing about that what's going on in Russia and Ukraine right now, where you're getting people taken out of prison and the labor camps, whatever, and basically just, you know, putting on the front lines, that's actually the Wagner group, which I guess is that plausible deniability you're talking about. Probably also, you know, a lot of those folks have sort of been written off by society and their families to an extent or sort of out of sight, out of mind. If you've been serving hard time for, you know, eight years or 18 years or whatever, you know, in a Siberian labor camp or just in the regular prison, if they have those there, um, you know, you probably, you know, people have moved on. They don't really miss you because they've already sort of moved on with their life. But um, aside from Wagner and what you say, Blackwater's Frontier now, but who, who are who are sort of like the big players? Like when everyone hears, like, you know, one of the favorite bad guys in, in the U.S. is Halliburton, you know, the, the, the Cheney's group. Where, wherever, you know, the, the U.S., something nefarious is going on, Halliburton is there. And then Halliburton will tell you 
well, we do the things that you don't want to do. We're, we're, we will build those pipelines and we will guard those pipelines in, you know, northern Nigeria, you know, uh, which isn't safe for Exxon to do or whatever it is. So, you know, of course we get, you know, $12 billion to do it because no one else will do it. Okay. You know, I, I guess I can see that. But is is, is Halliburton uh, a PMC also or do they hire someone else? And- so Hall- Halliburton will pay other PMCs to do stuff. Um, PMCs are designed to be as detached as possible because you don't want, you know, you want them to get dirty, so you don't. You know, Halliburton will happily hire guys because they do not want a Halliburton employee doing something really rough. Because with PMCs, you always have that plausible deniability. Look, it wasn't American soldiers who killed people. It was, you know, it was a it was a mercenary or bad mercenary. We're going to investigate that and look into it. You know, the media will probably give up in four months' time. Um, yeah. So again, there's a lot of companies who will give them money to do it. And then that makes it difficult because we can never tell where that money comes from because they're, they're private companies. They don't open their books. Uh, and even tracking money across, you know, they're going to run their money through probably Dubai to which Dubai is not going to let us know who's been giving and what. Um, and that makes every investigation trail go cold. Sure. So it is really difficult to um, to actually see who's, who's paying who, who's doing what. But no, it'll be... These PMCs are effectively just PMC companies. They're usually backed by very large companies or they're backed by, in, in some of the Hong Kong ones' case, they've actually got backing from the Chinese government. Uh, but they are designed to be as, you know, this guy gets clean, so I don't. I, I Sorry, this guy gets dirty, so I can stay clean. I do remember my question originally before, but I have to because these companies are organized. They're actually incorporated. So even in, in the dirty world, there's some, there's some legit legitimacy where they've got some corporate protection. And, uh, you know, I guess for, I guess the, the money still has to check out. It still has to be accounted for somewhere. I, I mean, I have to, I mean, you've got this absurdist thing where you've got like a SEAL, a Ranger, and, you know, a South African Special Forces guy and former, you know, applying for jobs. And they're like, uh, so, so what's your dental like? Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, and that, that, that is, a, that is absolutely correct. In fact, you know, when it comes time to usually when you know, a lot of recruitment is, is flipping over when they go to re-sign contracts, you know, these guys will send reps out to, you know, just like any other head out and they'll say, hey, you know, how would you like to only work three months a year and then four times as much, you know? Um, yeah, it's, it's the private market, you know, and a lot of PMCs, when you actually speak to them, will actually compete. They'll go, well, you know, the, the, Hong Kong company's offering me this and another, you know, a, a uh, South African company's offering me this and the American companies, like, you know, not as great of the med- medical stuff, but I am going to get, uh, you know, about 20% more pay. It is, you know, yeah, there's a shopping round for really good operators uh, and these guys compete with each other for people. So, yeah, it's, it's very much like the private industry. What is the range that, that, that can be made, you know, low to high end, you know, in U.S. dollars on an annual basis for... So, you know, Low end is, is, you know, we're talking what, so quite often, um, you know, at, at one end of the scale, you get what the UAE, uh, the Emiratis do quite often, is they will go to particularly Chadians, uh, so people who live in Chad and in, in Central, in sort of North, you know, in the Sahel region. Uh, because a lot of those Chadians have been fighting for years, they're actually good fighters. So they know what they're doing. They're good with, you know, usually close combat fighting. Uh, and they will go to them and say, hey, look, you know, I'm a private military company. Uh, I'll pay you $6,000 a year you know, because that's good money, you know, to just sit in a air-conditioned jewelry shop in Dubai and guard, and just sit there with a shotgun and guard the jewelry shop, uh, to which sounds great. It's air-conditioned, it's better, you know, why not? Let's do it. And then they get 
sign the contract and then week three of training, they're doing heavy machine gun training and they go, why am I doing this before they're deployed into Syria or they're deployed into Libya or they're deployed into somewhere else or Yemen particularly? Um, on the other, other, other side of the scale, you can get guys who are running you know, five, six hundred thousand uh, dollars for doing very interesting work. But most of those guys are people who probably have a lot of local contacts they can rely on. So it's very much a, we're going to pay you, but you're probably going to know the local guys who we need to bribe or you have personal relationships or you're going to know how to get out of the airport quickly or, you know, you have a specialty skill set. It is 100% the private market of, you know, we'll pay you more if we think you're worth more. Uh, the American companies tend to usually pay a little bit better. Um, but again, if they really want an operator, you know, the Hong Kong guys will outbid them or the Emiratis will outbid them. But again, it, it's a, such a wide spectrum between people going out to chatty in villages and, and getting people to be, uh, man machine guns to, you know, going after very senior, you know, or very uh, elite U.S. forces and saying, hey, you know, I, I know you're up for you know, re-enlistment. Why not not re-enlist and we'll pay you four times as much? So your typical movie scenario is that you have multiple PMCs operating in the same zone, either from different or oftentimes in a movie, of course, the same uh, international, uh, you know, or, or, you know, the CIA. They hire three different PMCs, redundancy or to eliminate each other or whatever, whatever the dirty plot is. But um, I, I'm not even really sure what the question is any longer. I've lost it, of course. Uh, but there, so you're... They're paying like on the high end five or six hundred thousand dollars a year. These, but it's not these multi million dollars caches of checks or these unlimited amounts of money. Yeah, some of them are because they some of them are like, hey, sign for a ten year contract and you're gonna be doing operations for training everyone. You know, it's it's how much does a person get paid in the you know, in the electronics industry. It really is completely varied on where you're from, what you can offer, how long your contracts are. Some of these PMCs just sign effectively you know, two or three week contracts. Uh, they're just going in and doing one escort and they're out. Others are signing 10 year contracts where they're not only effectively, um, you know, doing operating time, but they're also training up more PMCs as they go out of the, out of the military. Oh, I didn't um, know, I, yeah, it, it completely differs on, on what sort of contract you sign. I regained my question. What, what was that? How often does it actually happen where an agency or different agencies hire different PMCs in the same zone? And do PMCs ever work together and do they have like a joint venture agreement? Because like only a lawyer would be curious to see what that joint venture agreement looks like. It's probably yeah. ridiculously dull and looks like every other joint venture agreement. But I I, I would really love to see it actually. Um, but um, does that happen? Again, we, we never know the full extent because we don't know. You know a lot of PMCs will never even notice are there. You know, there might be uh, a guy driving to the airport and we don't notice the two cars behind him that are full of PMCs that frankly will not actually pop out of that car unless things have hit the fan. Uh, you know, there are times where they have worked together, in, you know, even in Iraq, even in particularly in Syria, uh, where there were Wagner guys and American PMCs and American troops and Russian troops and, you know, it gets really messy. Uh, and in fact, there are times when PMCs have been fighting other PMCs. That was happening a lot in Libya particularly. Uh, there are times where you have PMCs going against, uh, you know, quite often the American companies will actually do things out of the American interests, uh, whereas Russian PMCs never fight Russians. It's almost never unheard of that they'll go fight Russians, whereas it's really not that un it's not out of the question that American PMCs will go blow up or attack infrastructure that would be helpful to the Americans, uh, because again, it's more free market rather than the monopoly that effectively Prigozhin has. Uh, but yeah, it's. Not unusual. I mean, again, we know we never know the full extent of, of how tired these guys are yet. But 
particularly in, in Yemen, in Libya, and Syria, we've seen PMCs fight PMCs. We've seen PMCs fight you know national armies. We've seen national armies fight uh, you know all sorts of stuff. So it gets really messy and really muddy because the front lines are so weirdly muddy. I know they bid for um, <clears throat> for labor for for expertise. Do they also bid on jobs? Um, occasionally, like again, it's. You, you know, the, a lot of it will be you'll contract out, you'll maybe approach a few PMCs and maybe get a tender. Uh, but again, it depends what the job is. If you, uh, it's something really, really, really sensitive. It's, hey, I need you to eliminate this, you know, uh, member of government. You, you know, you would want to tell the least amount of people possible right. to make that happen. But if it's something like, hey, I'm protecting a pipeline, then 100% you would be going out to four or five PMC companies and seeing what their bids are and what they can offer and what they can protect and going from there. Uh, again, it's it's very similar to, you know, how the guys that will be wearing the armored vests as they get the ATM cash out. Would the, would do they ever? And I have a feeling the answer is, you know, it depends on the type of job. So let's let's call it a medium to high risk job, but but not like your secret wet work kind of, you know, black op kind of job. You know, protecting a pipeline in a, uh, you know, in a revolutionary zone. Um, you know, let's say you have one PMC protecting the east side of the pipeline and you have another PMC protecting the west side. Do, do they give each other heads up so they so they know not to engage with each other? I mean, they probably want to engage with the yeah. locals, but they don't want to engage with other they professionals. They probably will. Like, again, because but the PMCs don't want to die. No right. one wants to die. Right. And if, if their goals are, are similar, then, yeah, most countries will, you know, let them know. For the same reason that the Americans will do things like, you know, if they're going to absolutely rain fire down upon a certain place in Syria, they will quite often actually tell the Russians they're about to do it. Right. Because it doesn't matter if the Americans, you know, hit Syrians, but if they hit Russian soldiers, right. uh, that could be, you know, that it's, yeah, it could escalate to something worse. Right. It's not the measure of the life. It's where we're intending to hit Syrians, but we don't want to, yeah. we don't want to, you know, start World War Three over this. So let, let's tell the Russians or the Turks or whoever else might be there, you know, you may want to clear out, and I guess they just take the risk that the the, the Russians right tip off whoever their best friends are in in the Syrian regime. So obviously, you know, particularly in, in the the dying when we were all running out of Afghanistan, effectively, you know, there were some PMCs in there who were effectively doing getting private citizens out of the country. That was quite a, a big occurrence, and there were also the U.S. military doing the same thing. And if they'd seen each other, you know, operating in the same space, they probably would have just gone, "Yeah, we're both trying to get out of town. Who cares?" Yeah live and let live you know there's no reason to get engaged with each other on that right um there are very few occasions where a pmc would want to fight another pmc because it just doesn't make sense right as i said most of the job they're doing is either protecting uh pipelines is probably not a, a classy example because that's a long-term job a lot of it is protecting moving targets and protecting you know again the real classic pmc better bread and butter is get an oligarch from the airport to his meeting and back to the airport because the Route to the airport goes through a bad part of town. So they're, 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 a lot of them operate in Chicago, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> there are far worse places than Chicago. <laughs> uh, Baltimore. Uh, I don't, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> There's always Gary, Indiana. That's all we, you know, you know, that's, that's all we have. Can you imagine an oligarch going to uh, Gary? Like, what Russian oligarch do going to Gary? What are they going to Gary, Indiana for? Other, unless they're like a Jackson fan. Uh, yeah, I've, I've been in a lot of I've been. A lot of active wars over the years, and yeah, even they know Gary Indiana is not a fake place to be. Wow, that is, uh, <laughs> yeah. that is, that's, all right, so 
a long time ago, before I sidetracked us twelve times over, I was asking who are the big players. We we got we got Wagner, we have Frontier Services. Who are some of the, some of the other names that are out there? You know, the top five or whatever. I probably wouldn't name names unless it's Miller. You know, I'd be hesitant to ah. name names because they do get litigious occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, by the you'd also it may be out of date by the time we do it because ah. they do change their names so often. Okay. You see the same oligarchs who regularly appear, and in fact, a lot of the PMCs will pretty much stay in the same companies, but it is a shell game because mm-hmm. the moment any investigations get close to them or they get a reputation, everyone changes um, because that's the whole point of it. You know, they are meant to be as anonymous as possible, which is why, you know, a lot of people don't even know PMCs exist or they have this idea that it's soldiers of fortune who, you know, go and do CIA wet work when effectively it's a, as I said, most of the time escort missions, but they have they know that they can eliminate anyone in their way. Right. Um, so, you know, I have friends who run, run mine sites in Africa and they will always, always have a couple of PMCs with them. Um, and yeah, they will 100% if, you know, they will give one warning to any sort of locals on the mine site before they open fire. Uh, and they know they have the ability to do that. Uh, and that's why they're hired because local cops wouldn't do it, soldiers wouldn't do it. Uh, and that's why they're hired. But yeah, it's, they'll change names so often because they don't want, they don't want to ever be recognised. Uh-huh. And they're all really, they're all really sort of generic names. Like uh, I would say, exact ones. You know, uh, frontline services and defence uh, solutions is all kind of that. And it, it doesn't matter. Right. You track the oligarchs. You don't track the companies because the companies change so often. Right. You could just as easily see them on the, the commercials during your professional wrestling reruns trying to sell you tactical glasses that have no glare. Oh, no. They would 100% never advertise. They Because PMCs don't have what we, you know, what the wider world does, effectively, where it's, you know, you're not selling Colgate toothpaste. Right. They are, only have a very small amount of customers, and it's a very small pool of people. It's effectively national governments, uh, and there's only a few that really use them quite often. Uh, it's very large shipping companies. So, for instance, uh, Maersk, a few of the big shipping companies will hire them quite often. Uh, yeah, it's one of the reasons the piracy went down so dramatically after you know, in, in the sort of around the Somali coast is because all the shipping companies just started hiring PMCs. Because whilst the German and French navies and whatnot have, you know, they're not allowed to shoot fishermen. Right. Uh, PMCs just literally, you know, let the machine gun rip anyone anyone got anywhere close to the, to the boats um and everyone turned their back and the shifts just went no, i didn't see anything right and because of it you know, sh- piracy went right down uh, so that's why they got hired because the you know the, uh, national navies can't do that right so yeah it's yeah it's a, yeah, so it's very, it's very difficult to put exact names to... Understood. Yeah. You can't say names. The rules of engagement were engage. Uh, so yep. so no names allowed. Got it. I, I have one personal story with PMCs, which is very tangential and not even necessarily them, but I think it probably was. And it was in an airport and there were a bunch of guys and they were wearing their Blackwater hoodies. And, and this was totally during the time that everybody knew who Blackwater was. Um, it, and it might have been right before the, the name was changed. I don't know if these guys knew it or not or whatever. It doesn't matter. But they did not care that you knew they were Blackwater. They were all wearing the same hoodies. They all had hats. That Some of them were competing over how much swag with Blackwater they could wear and carry their their backpacks and whatever. And I don't know. They, I think they, you know, it's like a, it's like if you were Hell's Angel, you know, they're, they're daring you to look at them and, and, and say something. And nobody did and nobody would. Um, 
And, and in fact, I think that probably a few people, you know, this was obviously, uh, you know, after 9-11. Otherwise, why would anyone know what Blackwater is? And it was, you know, probably, uh, you know, uh, sometime in the mid to late aughts, you know, because, you know. Well, that, I guess about 2006. Probably. Or betting men. Probably about right. Uh, and, and uh, I, I bet you we even felt safer in the plane. I, I don't remember that far back, but, uh, you, know, you know, I'm not even sure there were sky marshals yet, but you, you sort of <laughs> felt like you had three more, three or four more sky marshals in, in, in the plane. Anyway, um, but, but they were definitely, uh, you know, proud, proud and loud, laying you the, <laughs> loud with their body language, not, not with their voices necessarily. Yeah, because they're, they're being paid a lot more. They're around other people who've served in the in the U.S. military. You know, they're walking around with things saying, "I'm doing the same job as you, and I'm getting paid four times as much, and I have no restrictions, and I can come and go as I please." And rather than you being deployed for six months in Afghanistan, I'm here for three weeks, and I get to go home, and I'm paid a lot more money. And yeah, that's a nice little bragging point uh, to everyone else. But again, yeah, it, that. I don't think people would be wearing Blackwater <laughs> stuff around as much as they probably used to. No, it had the claw. It had the big uh, yeah, claw the print big, on the... Yeah, the big old bear claw. I know, I, know, I know the one very well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it was, it was the real deal. Not, nice looking gear. Um, anyway, uh, move, <laughs> moving off of that. Um, so, all right. So, where are sort of the top zones, I mean, aside from Ukraine, that, that they'd be operating now either substituting for actual security or maybe being agents of chaos. Okay, so your real hotspots are your Central African Republic, Mozambique, uh, Guinea, uh, Democratic Republic of Congo, Madagascar, uh, South Africa is really big for them. Uh, Nigeria has a lot of them. Uh, Guinea-Bissau's got some, particularly for the new drug trade that's really coming in there at the moment. Um, you know, there's some in, in uh, Sierra Leone as well. Uh, mostly Africa is where you're going to see a lot of PMCs, but there's also a lot in Southern Philippines uh, doing some work out there. Uh, there's a lot in South America, again, mostly doing escort missions. Um, some of them are hired by drug cartels for, you know, very heavy hitters. Uh, there are some hired by the Mexican cartels as very heavy hitters. Uh, but the majority of PMCs you see operating in particularly Africa are they will be guarding mine sites or they will be doing things like what they are in Central African Republic, which is we guard the president, we run the streets, we effectively give security to, to Bangui, the capital, uh, and probably the few of the mines, but they're filling their pockets with diamonds and laundering that through the through the UAE. Um, that's how that operation will be working. It's a good source of, you know, for Russian, it's great, because A, it puts the yeah, Russia out there as a security guarantor again, which they want to be again since the fall of the Soviet Union. B, they get paid in, in you know, very good currency. Diamonds is great because you can launder it really, really easily. Uh, and C, effectively, they are providing the security for the president. And now the president knows that if he were ever to cross Putin, then his security, it's not his security around him. So that's not a great position to be in if you're the president of the Central African Republic. Uh, but that's a very common, you know, to see them out near mine sites or guarding highways to mine sites or guarding near the president. Because again, you know, and you, it's very similar. There's a lot of clips out there that used to be from the old French operations out in Mali, where you would see this body cam footage, and you know we could see it from both sides because some of the Malians were trying at that point were trying to uh, put stuff on YouTube as recruiting gear, and they're you know they 
very young. They're not really trained at all. They're just like they're firing their Kalashnikovs over over the wall. They're spraying prey, uh, and then you kind of you know they'll be attacking, let's say, a, a facility, a town, whatever it is, and then your PMCs or your French you know your French foreign legion guys will rock up and they'll just pick them all off one by one, and the whole battle's over really quickly once they get there. Um, that's also not an uncommon thing that they're just deployed there to be effectively, you know, a, we're not going to pick a side, but we're going to hurt one side if they attack the other. Uh, so we can play everyone off against each other. Because again, for a lot of particularly international mining companies, and I'm not going to name names for mm-hmm. otherwise my lawyer will yell at me. Um, but if you're a mining company and you go to somewhere really stable, like Australia and say, Hey, I want a mountain. Look, you know, I want to get all the bulk side of that mountain. They go, fantastic. Uh, you got to charge this much and you got to build this many jobs and you got to do this much infrastructure. And he goes, okay, that's really expensive. If you go to an African country, they're still going to demand quite a lot of the same things. But if you have a country which is at civil war or has, you know, diverging factors in the country, that way you can effectively go to the president and say, look, give me the mountain at 10th of the price or I will give your opposition a lot of guns and I'll give him the contract and he'll give it to me once he's taking your job and, eliminated your entire family and then he'll give it to me for free as a payment for that. So your choice is to either give it to me at a discount or I go to or across the street and I go to your enemies. Yeah. Uh, and that's why a lot of these countries, you know, there's a huge advantage for international conglomerates, a huge advantage for outside players to keep them at this balance point where they're not quite strong enough to eliminate each other. And if one gets too strong, they'll boost this one up, they'll both come back down and you keep the balancing act. So there's always that leverage of play ball or I help your enemy. Um, and that's, a lot of these African countries are in that position. Hmm. Now, let's say uh, I'm Nole Kassam and I am a, uh, uh, a multinational quadrillionaire and I want to get into the mining game. Um, but, you know, I'm an overnight success because that, that happens all the time. You know, I'm basically the Mark Zuckerberg of my industry. Like nobody knew who I was and a week later, I'm, I'm a, you know, a billionaire. Yeah. Um, and I need help. How do I find myself a PMC? Like, what is what is the anatomy of, of the search? Is Do you actually look, for, like, go to regular security companies and, and ask the, the right or wrong question and someone says, I know a guy who can help you? Or do you say? Now, these, these guys have Googleable sites. Uh, and anyone at that level, once you get to that kind of level where you have a lot of money, mm-hmm. it's, you know, bankers will know quite well who to be talking to. Okay. Uh, if you want anything done, you'll be talking to local fixers and operators. You know, quite often, you know, uh, so fixers is a really common job in, the, in these kind of areas. That I, I used to do a lot of fixing work. I still do a bit of fixing work. Where it's thing, and sometimes fixing work is as simple as, you know, what about the other day? It's like, hey, um, I need a cameraman who speaks Russian and Georgian, and I need him in South Ossetia in six hours. And blank check if you can get it done. Okay, yep, fantastic. I'll make some calls. And you rely on people like me who have these very long phone books that you can just like, call friends and say, hey, look, you know, pay this much and I need you to get out to South Central real quick. By the way, I can I can tell the world this is a podcast, but Mike Hillier looks exactly like Harvey Keitel in Pulp Fiction right now. <laughs> by, by the way, we, we now have the name of the show, The, the Fixers. <laughs> yeah, actually, The Fixers is a really good one. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, once you get to that world, you'll start calling Fixers and Fixers would know. So, But a lot of these companies will have websites mm-hmm. But if you message them and say, hey, can you guard my my six my six year old's birthday party next week, they're gonna probably do it your way. Um, <laughs> some of the bigger ones will only want contracts that are worth multi million dollars. You sure. know, don't talk to you unless you know 
a national government looking to, you know, uh, effectively long-term guard embassies on a second run. Yeah, it, it really does. Again, I feel like I've said this a hundred times all night, but it is horses for courses. Everything's different. Uh, but yeah, it, these guys have websites, huh. uh, but usually there'll be fixes or people can direct you to the right ones or there'll be people in that area of the world who know what to do. Right, it's the free market. If you want to get Taylor Swift to do a concert, either you need to run the, the, the Meadowlands or you need to yep. be a quadrillionaire yep. and say, "Yeah, I want you to play yep. my my kids' to ten you know tenth birthday." Uh, no, I'm not doing that. Oh, but I'm an I, I'm the Emir of you know Jefferson, yep. and you know I will give you uh, you know for forty two million dollars to to do it. Oh, okay, so, sounds Which good. Is, yeah, yeah they, they rock up. That's yeah, that's pretty much how it goes. That's, um, yeah, that's well okay. Yeah, so it, it's. Just like everything else, then it's it's the market forces. It's 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 a sort of uh, capitalism gone wild, but it it runs even where there's not capitalism. So around, well, you said it's hard to track, but around how many like on the higher end companies might? I mean, are we talking dozens? Are we talking scores, hundreds? We're, we're talking easily a couple hundreds because when you know some of them are really small. Some of them will only be like six dudes. Others will be thousands of operators, and it really is, you know, Wagner's much bigger than that. Um, yeah, it, it, again, it, it's almost like how many electronics companies are there? Right. Yeah, yeah, there's the big guys, there's your Samsungs, your Apples, your, your big sort of your your fronty services group, your Wagner's, but there's also really small operators who will only have six or seven guys um, who will probably only pick up very, very localized contracts. So they might, um, I won't give examples, I'll just wing, wing, nudge, nudge kind of stuff, but for instance, there are some that will only operate Carlo Delgado in Mozambique, and their only guy they contract with is usually the French right. mining company Jatano. Um And they don't need a lot of operators for that. If they're just getting guys and effectively guarding the airplanes when the you know when the French land or French executives land to go check it out, then you don't need a lot of guys. Um, it's like the Templars. You just need yeah, your nine. It, yeah, you know there are some companies where on the books there's only three, three or four you know actual people who work at the company. It's like. Linda from accounting, the CEO and the CEO's, you know, uh, cousin who is going to get a random job, but they'll also contract out to either other smaller PMCs, which is also quite common, uh, or they'll contract out to effectively, they'll find people for the jobs. Um, you know, a lot of these smaller PMC companies will be effectively picked up by bigger PMC companies for larger contracts. So yeah, it's, it's really difficult to know exactly how many there are and how many are registered under security companies, how many registered under uh, event management, that's another one you can register no, things on. Sure. Um, because, again, the regulation the countries they're operating in is so ridiculous uh, to the point where some of these guys will come in on tourist visas and some of them will come in on working visas and some of them will come in with no paperwork at all. Um, you know, it really depends on, on the sort of the, the, the situation you're dealing with. I'm just thinking about a really bad offbeat comedy with like a, you know, Michael Cera or something where they're running a, a Comic-Con and they, they hire one of these places to do top security and they have no idea who they hired. And it, uh, and it becomes a diehard kind of thing where some cosplayers, you know, end up, uh, you know, being John McClane. I don't know. This, this. For, P, for PMCs, they also get, they get rules of engagement. I mean, as much as I've said they can free fire, it's only in certain countries. Right. For PMCs, let's say, hired to, you know, get Mariah Carey to the show, he's not just going to free fire at people as they go through, you know, Seattle. 
when a PMC is hired to do things in, in the Democratic Republic of Congo, and you know you, he'll probably be told when he gets there, yeah, it's free fire. Like right. it's give him a warning out of courtesy, but yeah, it's free fire after that. So again, it's a every time every job will have a different set of rules of engagement. Every job will have a different set of objectives. Every job will have a different set of pay. Every job will have a different set of nationalities working on it. Um, it really is just a, a really really deregulated, really sparsely different world. Are there places that beyond regular security that we're talking about, getting Mariah Carey to the contract or getting the, you know, the, the Russian oil oligarch who needs to talk to, a, you know, the governor of Texas or whatever, whatever, or North Dakota or Vancouver, you know, getting them safely from place to place. Do they operate in like the United States, Canada, or, you know, Australia beyond yeah, those, beyond um, those security jobs? Yeah, of course, because they will be, you know, if you are very worried about something going on, that's kind of a higher end version of it. So quite often, if you're a big Hollywood star and you're, you know, you're very worried because your entire tour bus has to drive through Cary, Indiana, you might hire one or two of these guys just to kind of be there for that leg of the trip. Um, it's very doable. And sometimes the bigger companies will just farm out someone for a, a good chunk of money. Sometimes it'll be a very little company. It's effectively just a level above security. You know, you can hire a, a, a we call them like chub armored vehicle guys and but you know that the chub guys when probably push comes to shove aren't going to be pulling out a rifle and, and willing to like stand and fight right whereas if you hire pmcs because you're expecting things to go wrong yeah that's when you expect them to stand and fight so cartel guys might hire them but again it really comes down to how much noise you want to make how much money you're willing to pay because if you think well i'm not going to probably come under attack then the chub security guys probably work uh, and a lot of time you don't want to pay PMC fees and risk, you know, any of that if you just not require it. But yeah, sometimes it is operating in the US just to get certain people around or, or do certain stuff. But there's also a cat and mouse game of if you, if let's say they were asked to, you know, attack a power plant in, in the US um, and that all came out, then there's a risk of everyone actually calling for regulation. And yes, the, the industry would probably all take hands off and go, yeah, it's going to raise a bit too much attention. Right. Um, so in Western countries, PMCs are usually very clean. They quite often wear nice white-collared shirts. So they're usually quite, you know, reasonable. Uh, it's when you get into the places where there are no journalists that they go, yep, safety's off, let's go. Right. Let's say that hypothetically, allegedly, I am the drug kingpin of Northwest Baltimore. Um, yep. And... I'm, I'm getting, you know, my, my, the East side is getting a little bit hungry. It's like, it's like the wire, I, you know, prop Joe is, is feeling froggy and wants to come into my territory. And, you know, I've got my corner guys, I've got my hitters, but, uh, you know, I try to reach out to New York, but they remember what happened with brother Muzan and they're like, nope, you're on your own this time. Um, I mean, is that a situation where, I reach out. Uh, highly, highly unlikely because in the US you would be investigated. Okay. You know, yeah, it would be, you know, particularly if they're US citizens, you know, are these guys committing crimes in the Central African Republic. If they have to leave the country, who cares? They're not, they're not, doesn't mean they have to have come back. Whereas if they're doing it on US soil, that actually will be investigated and it will, it may end up back at the company or it may ask questions or they're likely to be caught on camera doing it. And it's, it's real messy to operate inside a Western country. Um, when it comes to, yeah, you know, Central African Republic, yeah, you don't have to worry about any of that. So it's, it's quite unlikely um, that you'd want to do it. And again, the U.S. doesn't have a, you know, 
the US would at least have laws of, you know, you can't just fire upon people randomly. You know, you have to stand your ground depending on the state and obviously differs from state to state. But, you know, with with a lot of the African countries, it's, you know, shoot first, ask, ask questions later. And that's how these guys usually prefer to operate. So I'm sure if you were to go pay these guys a bucket load of money and say, hey, look, you know, I, I will, you know, take me around this area and if anyone you know, gets rowdy, then we can look at look down that road. But I don't think as many PMCs would want to take that that job because A, they know they're opening themselves up for a, a likely investigation and an investigation that will actually be done in a country they probably can't leave from uh, because it's got an extradition treaty. The US has a lot of extradition treaty countries. So yeah, it, it's pretty, it'd be a pretty unlikely scenario, but not off the table. I mean, I'm sure there's probably one or two times it's happened. Right. You can always find one, uh, especially if the, if the money's right and, you know, Let's say they were former Cuban regular. I remember when I when I was growing up. I'm I'm 54. So when I was growing up, you know, the Russians were in lots of countries, but they almost never sent Russians. They there were Cuban soldiers all over the place. You'd think that Cuba was a country of 300 million people. They were Cuban soldiers all through Africa, all through Central America. I mean, Cuban soldiers everywhere. In Red Dawn, the the, the they had Cuban soldiers, you know, here invading the U.S. in the movie. Um, you know, you know. So, could I reach out to a? Uh, well, I, I guess those guys would be very old. But uh, you know, is there still like a, some country where there's a PMC where they're like, yeah, we don't care. We'll, we'll operate in the U.S. Yeah, it would be really unlikely because again, you you the U.S. is very you know, robust. I'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, security apparatuses, and the U.S. are very likely to catch you. You know. The, most of the time, the U.S. more like major governments know these guys are operating, particularly if they're PMCs and they've been caught on camera doing things before. Mm-hmm. You know, even if, if the U.S. knows this company, hey, look, it's done a bunch of crimes in Yemen. They're not going to care. They're not going to actually prosecute that right. because they just don't. There's no, there is no way to prosecute it. Right. Whereas if they see that person coming into the states, they're going to go, okay, that's someone we should probably keep an eye on. What is he doing here? And that's where your problems. Uh, so it's possible, but again, it's you know, what would you be doing in the state, <coughs> the states that, <coughs> sorry, that sorry. You couldn't solve with private security or that an armored car couldn't solve? And, you know, if you're bringing a guy who's trigger happy, I mean, there's plenty of guys in the US that are trigger happy enough. Right. Um, you know, yes, there you are. Can usually get lo- you can usually get local cops to do most of that work. Um, so, yeah, PMCs are some. PMCs are only really designed for when you know you're going to do something really illegal or you know there's an area where you can't rely on security, police, or anyone like that because they, A, either don't have the manpower or guns to fight back, or B, no cop is going to want to go into a high, uh, you know, fight guys with machine guns. They're just, you know, no one lives in a die-hard no, yeah, no, that, that was, that was a big refrain of the, you know, the police used to say we were being outgunned by the criminals and, and now the refrain 20 years later or 25 years later is demilitarize the police. It's, it's, uh, you know, there's always this swing, swinging pendulum. And, you know, I always like to say, yeah, everyone's for demilitarize the police until there's a school shooting in your school. And then, and then, and then you're wondering where the armored vehicle is. So I don't know. It's what it's, you know, it's one of those things. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so, uh, yeah, here, here I go making enemies again. Anyway, so, uh, Northwest Baltimore County, uh, my territory, I have to safeguard it myself. And listen, nobody would mess with, with Baltimore County's finest anyway. They, they, they would de- definitely populated only by John and Jane 
McLean's. No, no, no problem here. Every one of them is John Wick and and uh, the and Charisse Theron from Atomic Blonde. So uh, yeah, every single one, without a doubt, it's the most, it's the happiest place on earth. Um, yeah. Uh, what else should I? What what should I have asked you about PMCs that I didn't, or what should you tell me that, that didn't have a question to lead to it? That's a really interesting one. Um, it's my catch-all because you know I'm not very yeah, good. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not a professional, so I figure I, I put it. I throw it on you. You know. Yeah, I guess. I guess the question that I, I get asked a lot when I talk about PMCs is where do I see it going, mm-hmm. and I see it getting to be a much more prominent part of uh, combat. You know, we've already seen. We see a. a you know, when we introduced the drone programs, effectively using drones to fight wars, you know, the American public really enjoyed that. You know, it was it was a major shift in, you know, U.S. policy that effectively they could use these drones and they could eliminate entire villages. And yes, there'd be more civilian casualties and things would be messier, but they also didn't lose Americans doing the job. And because they didn't lose Americans, there was no political flashback because of it, um, you know. When you lose, you know, Benghazi, for instance, was something that was brought up for years and years and years and years and years. Still is. And there's a, yeah, still is, even though probably a bit of a blowing, but a whole other thing. You know, the trouble is, if it had been, if it had been PMCs doing Benghazi and the PMCs had been eliminated, not a single person would have really cared about it. It would have been, oh, well, the PMCs, I guess. Which, again, these are people, they have families, they have mothers and fathers. They shouldn't, but, but sorry, they, people should care about them. It's a better way to word that. But, yeah, people don't have that same political attachment if they're PMCs. So, you know, if you are in a hot area and <clears throat> there's a worry about, you know, yeah, suffering casualties, PMCs are becoming a cheaper and a more reasonable option. Um, it also, you know, frankly, it's, it's a really interesting thing. If, yeah, we pulled out of Afghanistan without American troops, but we put a lot of PMCs into Afghanistan as well. So, but we can now pat ourselves on the back and go, yeah, we got out of Afghanistan, good work, yeah, good work us. There's almost as many PMCs as there were American troops left in Afghanistan. So, do we? What actually changed? Mm-hmm. Yet, politically, everything changed. You know, even you know, uh, financially, even you know, geopolitically, how the country is viewed is very different now because of the PMCs and not, not uh, actual soldiers. You know, the U.S. chucking a thousand PMCs into into sort of Colombia would be very different to how putting a thousand boots on, or putting a thousand troops on the ground from the U.S. military. Um, so they can be used to effectively get around and have this ambiguity. You know, there's always been that worry by sort of defense guys of what happens if Wagner was to, let's say, invade Estonia. You know, right now we, you know, with NATO, we would declare if Russian troops came across the border into Estonia, uh, that's it, Article 5, we go to war with Russia. But if it's Wagner, now it's, that's where you get that gray line. And the gray line is really where people don't want to operate because, um, you know, pre-Ukraine, I think now NATO is quite aligned and, and on the same page, but there's always that question of if it's, well, it's not Russia, it's Wagner, it's a bit messy, and then you see maybe a Hungary, a Bulgaria, and a few other countries go, well, I'm not I'm not coming to NATO's aid. I mean, I'm not, it's just Wagner. It's not right. the Russians. Then you get into weird, like, is NATO still doing this? Is it not? And that moral gray area, that, that operational gray area is where PMCs will thrive. Is that I don't want to get, you know, yeah, making calls and making things a bit squiffy that shouldn't be there. So that's where it's going to be a more of a problem going forward. And no one wants to regulate it because everyone loves having that card they can play with moral ambiguity. Well, Estonia is, I mean, I know you're just picking a country, but I mean, that's, that's in the, uh, the, you know, the, the, the Baltics. 
or Balk, you know, just north of the Balkans, and it's uh, and it's in Europe. Uh, so that would be a bit messy. I mean, I understand the gray line, which, by the way, oh. should totally be one of your episodes called the gray line, <laughs> exactly on this situation. But there has to be. Let Let's say we found Wakanda. And it had all this vibranium, you know, this new rich resource. Um, but unlike, you know, Wakanda of the Marvel universe, uh, you know, it wasn't able to be harnessed into enormous technology where, you know, you basically have a civilization that's like, you know, a thousand years ahead of everyone else. Um, and, you know, it was, it was just another country, you know, small country in sort of, you know, uh, you know, a less regulated part of the world. Um, but they're sitting on a mountain of, you know, Whatever. Cobalt. So, you know, well, let's, let's use a, a favorite call. We're just describing the DRC at the moment. <laughs> right. Uh, and and yeah. they just decide to get, I mean, I understand that Wagner right now is 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 a little bit busy, but let's just say that uh, instead of Wagner, we got Schnagner. And uh, Schnagner is from Jeff Zikistan, of course, because it's the best and worst country in the world. And if Jeff Zikistan, we have... You know, you know, it's like the Star Wars uh, cantina. We have the worst of all, you know, all in one place available. It's like a, it's like a bazaar for for mercenaries, and they they find Schnagner out of Jazikistan, which is like Dubai, and they have absolute immunity. Whatever they do is not a crime, uh, as long as they don't do it in Jazikistan and pay us, you know, ten million dollars a year in duties. Um, just say Chechnya. Just say Chechnya. Just say Chechnya. <laughs> sure. I like Jazikistan. We could say, but Jeffzikistan is so much more fun. Um, yeah, we'll go to but yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely have a country in my mind. Okay, very good. Um, and and could I could we hire Schnagner to do that gray line to in, invade Wakanda? And like, what would the world do in a situation like that? So that's that's again one of these situations we don't know yet. Now the the you know, there's not a huge number of PMCs, so to actually you know, Yes, the PMC could probably smash in and take the airport and probably smash in and even occupy some areas. But to actually run a proper military operation is a lot more difficult than that. You need comms guys, you need radio guys, you need logistics, you need medic guys, you need people to make food. You know, those are things that Wagner is... No one in Wagner, apart from maybe Prokoshin himself, is there to cook. You know, there (laughs) is... They go in, they get out, they do their thing. You know... To occupy a country with Wagner soldiers, so quite often you'll see in Syria where the Wagner guys will go in, they'll smash uh, whatever they need to smash, and then it'll be Syrian, you know, allied for the Syrian government forces who will then come into the occupation, the logistics, and everything else afterwards. Uh, even when they're operating in, in countries like the Central African Republic, where we're there for there for the diamonds, right. uh, or they're in, you know, DRC, which is increasingly seeing more PMC activity. Uh, effectively, these guys are operating around the mine site and they'll probably guard the trucks as they leave and that's all they do. Right. Um, you know, their whole thing is going to be, we don't care what happens, 1K either side of the mine site, as long as the mine site's secure. Right. Um, so that's very much in the capacity of what PMCs can do when it comes to occupying and taking a country. Uh, that takes a lot more work. And again, doing something that big scale and bold would bring the conversation up. Right now, PMCs love the fact that the only people having these conversations are effectively geopolitical nerds, policy guys, uh, and people who, frankly, actually probably see the other side of this and go, yeah, this is a useful card for us to keep as well. Let's not talk about it. If this becomes a really big story, like it was uh, a few years ago after the Tahir Square incident with Blackwater, that's when the whole industry almost, you know, was really worried about actually being regulated. 
that was a huge panic. That's why everyone moved to Riyadh and, and, and Abu Dhabi and Hong Kong to get out of the U.S. And, and everyone went really dark and quiet after that. You know, invading a country would just be to hear square times a thousand uh, because you'd have to do some real nasty things. So, yeah, I, I, I can't see me going down that road uh, yet. So yeah, there's, so there's no PMCs with like uh, two hundred thousand, you know, troops, and and uh, I don't know, if, I don't know if this statistic is correct, but at some point I heard that you know, it, it, in in a military, you typically have ten percent fighting force, and the other ninety percent is your your various supply chains and support, which you know, I guess with technology, if including supply chains, and yeah, very much so. But yeah, generally, you know, you you usually somewhere around the forty fifty percent are probably going to be able to fight, but there's a lot of guys again. Do you count the guys who are in the country? You know, if they are the, you know, everyone that goes to Afghanistan, quite a lot of them are motor, like they'll be just motor pool guys. They'll right. be guys whose entire job is I was deployed to Afghanistan and I just signed trucks in and out of the base. Right. Uh, whereas there are other guys who will be, you know, they'll be, uh, you know, doing logistics and cargo runs back in Texas. You know, are they technically, I would, I would argue they're part of the Afghanistan war. They're helping out. They're, they're crucial to keeping that war going. But, you know, do you count them as, as part of that force? You know, Wagner doesn't really have to do as much of that kind of stuff. Right. Quite often, it's very small operations and very small amounts of logistics. And if you're being paid the equivalent in whatever your country is of, you know, 400,000 American US, so you, you, you're probably not likely to be willing to live off the land for very long. You know, hunting <laughs> no, rabbits and stuff. <laughs> yeah, they, they, you know, they, they live quite well. I mean, sometimes if they're in Syria, for instance, or they're in somewhere where it is a bit less hospitable, and yeah, they, you know, they're going to live pretty badly for a little while. Uh, but again, it's, it's very temporary. Right, um, temporary. These guys have usually much shorter deployments than, than, than proper national military guys. So they're, they're in and out, bang, get the job mm-hmm. done, get out uh, as quickly and with as little collateral mess as possible. Uh, though collateral mess is a, is a sliding scale. Look, if I, if I hired a painter to paint my house, he wouldn't be there for four weeks living in my house while he paints the house. You get in, he paints it, goes home. Right. And that's what how PMCs will look at most jobs. It's, we need to get this guy to the airport. We'll fly in a couple of days. You fly in a week early. We'll you know, do some reconnaissance, get our ideas together. We'll do the job and we'll go home afterwards. It is very much a, we're just hiring almost like a security guard, uh, which makes things very different, different to effectively, you know, long deployment of militaries where you, you're setting up kitchens, and you're setting up medical stands, you're setting up rec centers, and you're setting up pool tables, and you, 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 you want to be there for a while. You want to make use of the fact that you've you know, actually carted all this equipment all the way to Afghanistan. Okay. This morning, bef- just before we got uh, on the air or start recording, I got one of my news alerts saying that uh, uh, Ukrainian strike uh, killed dozens of Russians that were just being deployed. Uh, you, did you have any information on that? No, I haven't looked at that particular one today. I've been busy on other, other uh, calls all day, but it's not unusual. Um, the Ukrainians right. have been striking. Is, is this a strike inside Russia or is this just Russian forces? I know, literally, is one of the little text message things that I get all throughout the day from various sources yeah. that I don't know how they come to my There's, phone, but they do. There's quite heavy fighting, particularly around Bakhmut at the moment. Um, so it's not unusual. There's probably are a lot of strikes on Russian forces at the moment. Uh, the Ukrainians have been doing some strikes inside Russian territory, which is a bit of an escalation compared to what a few months ago. But mostly these are either strikes on Belgorod, which is right over right. the border pretty much from Kharkiv, uh, or there'll be some Russian air bases that are quite forward deployed. Um, so pretty much 
you know, usually within about, I want to call it about 300 k's of, of the Ukrainian border. Um, the Ukrainians haven't gone for the kind of real big strikes that the Russians have against apartment buildings and whatnot. Right. But that also comes down to the fact that Ukrainians have a lot of precision missiles still left uh, because the U.S. are throwing them at them, whereas the Russians are running really low on precision missiles. So right now it's at the start of the war, and it's very much analogous to if I'm going to, like, you know, if I'm robbing your car, I don't want to break the windshield as I, as I you know, take pull you out of the car. Right now, Russia knows they're not going to get this car. Let's break the car. Um, so, and also because they're running out of these really precision missiles, they're just using dumb bombs effectively, which means that, okay, we don't know if we're going to hit that building. So let's just throw a hundred shells at it and we'll hit everything around that building. Nice. Um, some of their artillery guys are really good enough to hit that one building and that's fine. But yeah, whereas Ukraine is using a lot of precision guided or radio guided, um, uh, munitions, which effectively means they're not firing. You know, when they fire into Belgorod, they're usually just hitting a, a fuel refinery plant right. or they're hitting a key bit of infrastructure. Whereas when Russia is firing into into Bakhmut or firing into Kiev or firing into you know uh, you know these major Ukrainian cities, they're hitting everything because they really don't have as many precision guided weapons as they once did. Yeah, well, granted, I only got like what would be considered a half a paragraph, but my impression is that, <laughs> that this was sort of a you know, probably a staging area for some of these new recruits, conscripts, and is probably to put the put the the fear of Satan into them that the you know these guys are already weren't really ready to go on the front line, and then and that's happening huge amounts on both sides. I mean, yeah. the, the trouble with this conflict is obviously we're in here in the West, we get lots and lots of pro-Ukraine, anti-Russian stuff, mm-hmm. uh, and if you you know sit on the Russian Telegram, or you sit in VK, you're sitting in Russian circles, you're hearing all this, all the opposite. Of course, um, it's usually somewhere in the middle. I mean that. Ukraine's having a lot higher, particularly in Bakhmut, which is in, you know, where the major battle is at the moment. Um, Ukraine's wounds are a lot higher by the looks of it, uh, because frankly, they are uh, getting a lot of artillery shrapnel problems because Russia's just launching so much artillery at them at the moment. But they're also having a lot more survivability rate because they're coming back off the front lines and they're pretty much going straight into Ukrainian hospitals and whatnot, whereas the Russians really haven't got great infrastructure ready for this until they either hit sort of the L... Uh, Luhansk and Donetsk kind of areas where they've been fighting for you know since 2014, or they go back into Russia, in which case you lose a lot. You know, there's, there's a much higher chance of someone bleeding out and dying if they have to go back to Belgorod, uh, whereas Ukraine has got infrastructure right there, and then uh, their supply lines are a lot shorter at the moment. So, yeah, it, it's when we see these sort of like, oh, we killed a bunch of Russian soldiers today. Yeah, we probably lost a bunch of Ukrainians doing it. The Ukrainians are doing better oh, than sure. the Russians, but what they're not losing nearly as many men. Uh, but the Russians are also doing a lot of frontal assaults at the moment, which is, you know, you're always going to lose a lot of men doing that. It's a very strange war in a lot of ways. It's it's a very modern war, not in the way of style of fighting, but in the in the way that it's really being kept mostly to the confines of Ukraine. And I think part of that, I mean, I think Ukraine is is uh, adopting some discipline because they want to have a PR campaign to the rest of the world. Russia really just needs to play to their own domestic crowd and people who are already on their side. But the Ukraine, you know, if they start hitting apartment buildings in Russia, they're going to, you know, they're, they're, you know, the, the weaker part of the coalition is going to fall off and they really can't risk yeah. there being any voices. Uh, again, they've got to be sort of as high road as possible without being irresponsible in yeah. their defense. If, 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 if they start killing lots of Russian civilians, then they do lose that hormonal high ground. It does give an opportunity for some of the less enthusiastic partners of the conflict to go, you know, somewhere like a, 
I'm not going to say France, but kind of France, probably go, oh, maybe we should you know talk about scaling this back because obviously the war's getting a bit out of control. Um, it also worries about escalation, you know. So right now, there is a lot of resentment in some of the Russian cities towards the government because these guys are fighting an enemy that they don't view as a threat. Right. Whereas if, you know, if Ukrainians go and bomb an apartment building and kill, you know, let's say 100 Russians who are living in there, you know, every one of their families is now being radicalized. They're going to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, you just, you know, you, you just, you just struck my babushka. My babushka did nothing wrong. That's it. I'm joining the military and I'm going to avenge my babushka. You know, that, that you want to avoid that if you can. Um, because you see what it's done to the Ukrainians. You know, there was a very different vibe in a lot of the general public in the very first days of the war where, yeah, it was awful, but the Russians were, usually, were only targeting military installations on the first day. They missed a few times, which is yeah. where they hit apartment buildings. But there was a very different vibe. Now it's that everyone has watched their power get cut. Everyone has friends that have been hit. Everyone's in this for the fight now. They've right. been radicalized. They're ready. They're ready to fight. Whereas there's... In the first days, there were so many more people who were just fleeing over the border going, well, you know, I don't want to be a part of this. A lot more people are staying and fighting now because they've, had, they've lost friends, they've lost loved ones, they've lost houses. So it's a, it's a real conundrum. And when you speak to U.S. military generals, particularly some of the guys who were operating in Iraq and, and Afghanistan, they'll tell you that sometimes, yeah, you'll get that, you know, you'll get that operative, you'll get the, you'll eliminate the fighter, but now you've just made his whole family radicalized. Right. You've, you've lost the war. The, the old martyr question. Yeah. Um, what about Belarus? What, 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 is that, uh, I mean, that wasn't much of a question. What about Belarus? That's yeah. uh, got lovely coasts. Uh, no. I yeah. mean, you know, uh, I mean, are they, I mean, Belarus itself is not exactly a power, but it, it's, you know, but as far as opening another front, you know, their, their leader is weak, but aligned with, with, uh, Putin, their people don't, seem to be all that thrilled with their leader or, you know, their involvement in the war. I think there's something like 1,500 or 3,500 Russian soldiers there, which is not a lot, but that that could, you know, I mean, what is the likelihood of opening up a Belarus front and would that force the hand of, say, countries like Poland and and, and the Balkans, um, you know, to to say no, no, yeah. no. So I've, I've only got about 10 minutes left. I've got to jump That's on the fine. call, but... Um, so Belarus is a really interesting case. So effectively, for years, Lukashenko, who's the president of Belarus and has been president since '94, actually really doesn't like Putin. Him and him have uh, Putin and Lukashenko have a bit of rivalry going back between themselves back from the '90s. Um, but anyway, effectively, Lukashenko has been increasingly turning into a dictatorship. And then, but up until 2020, he was able to play both sides off each other, both the EU and Russia. So whenever Russia would get too friendly with Belarus or would get too demanding, then Lukashenko would start opening up doors to the EU and be really friendly. And quite often, if you go into places in southern Lithuania, for instance, on a Saturday afternoon, almost in, you're in a mall, most of the number plates in the car park are probably going to be Belarusian. Um, it was really common for people to go across the border and everything was fine. And whenever the EU would be too nasty, they'd go back to Russia and he could play them off against each other. Uh, and it was the better thing for, Bel for Belarus. Then 2020 comes and he rigs this election beyond any, uh, you know, beyond imagination. Uh, there's, you know, a real uprising from the people. The people don't want it. And Putin comes in and saves him. Now, effectively, Putin, the next opposition leader who would probably take over if Lukashenko was removed, is also pro-Russia and pro-Putin. So now Lukashenko either has to do everything Putin asks or he will be removed. And that's a real bad position to be in because the, he's effective after 2020, 
the EU's never want to doesn't want to deal with it anymore. They've gone, no, you're no longer balancing act. Russia is the only game in town now for them. So they have to do whatever Russia asks. When it comes to the conflict in Ukraine, though, it's the Belarusian army is not particularly well armed. You know, most of their old stuff is old uh, Soviet era tech. It's not really great. Uh, they're not particularly well trained and offensive stuff. Uh, and Lukashenko doesn't want his best troops going and dying in Ukraine if they need it at home to defend him against the next upset of uprisings. Right. So it's also quite unpopular, the war in, the Ukraine, in Ukraine in, um, in Belarus as well, particularly in the younger population. So Putin has that kind of math in his head of, okay, if I order Belarus to put their, let's say, 5,000 troops into, into, into Ukraine, is it going to change the war? Not really. The Belarusians aren't, aren't that well armed. They're not that well trained. You know, it's just going to annoy, it's just going to help, but not really change the war. But it will almost certainly kick off riots throughout Belarus. And what's the point in getting 3,000 Belarusians to come across the border if Russia has to deploy 5,000 Russians into Belarus to keep that situation under control? Uh, so effectively, he just goes, it's not worth it. Just stay neutral, do your thing. Um, because, it, you know, you joining the war is only going to make things worse. So the, the Russians effectively are operating from Belarus. Uh, in the original days, they get the big push through uh, through down near Chernobyl into toward Kiev was done from Belarusian territory. They still launch missiles from Belarus today, uh, airstrikes in Belarus as well. But Belarus officially will stay out of the war um, unless things get really dire. And I can't see Putin would pull a lot of troops from a lot of other places before he starts asking Belarus to get involved. Um, and the other reason he won't is because for the same reason with Kazakhstan, you know, you know, a, you don't want to put in troops because you just you know you want to get 3,000 troops and deploy 5,000 in, but it does allow a semi-backdoor for getting around sanctions. So right now there's a lot of parts and whatnot that Russia can't get at the moment because of the sanctions, but Belarus probably could. And this way, at least it leaves a backdoor open for some parts to go to Belarus, which will then be sold on to the Russians. Right. Uh, so it's more Russia, important to have that free zone where they can get their stuff yeah. rather than get whatever aid and they get from yeah. Belarus and yeah. It's, it's a, yeah, they would have done the math and gone, okay, the Belarus staying out, we get a backdoor for some, some backdoor sanctions. Uh, we don't have to go in and, and defend, you know, put 5,000 troops in to stop the next uprising. Lukashenko stays where he is, and we still get to operate our, our missiles and whatnot from there. And on the other hand, what we get out of that? A couple of tr a thousand troops who aren't that great, who are using really old Kalashnikovs. Not worth it. The, right. Just the math doesn't work out. It's not, you know, it's not worth the time. And we need our people in Syria and Azerbaijan and the, the other places more. Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. So, folks, if you want to know all the various places that Russia has troops deployed that might surprise you, listen to, to Mike's podcast and listen to the uh, entire catalog because there's a lot of scary things in the world. And then you, you, you can get have your hair turn gray like Barack Obama's did. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, I, I, I am cognizant of your time. You said you had 10 minutes. That was probably five minutes ago. So I'm going to give you this last time to uh, just tell people how they can find you, how they can, you know, support you. I've said the name of the show a dozen times, but it's probably come, sounds better coming out of your accent. That sounds far better with you. Um, uh, so if you want to check out what we do, we uh, do big fortnightly deep dive pieces on one big subject shape the news, whether that be. Uh, CSGO collapse or how difficult an invasion of North Korea would actually be uh, with experts, usually from the White House, CIA, Harvard, Oxford, Cambridge, who, you know, the actual decision makers and experts coming in to give real opinions and give actual analysis on what these situations are. Uh, you can listen to the red line on, on any major podcast platforms, whether it be Spotify, Apple, or 
the good ones. Um, otherwise, you know, if you follow us on Twitter, we do lots of like breaking news panels as well, whether it be you know, riots in Mongolia or current tensions on the uh, Azeri Iranian border. Um, otherwise, you can follow our website as well, where there's also analysis and writing uh, and detailed pieces. Uh, and the last one we just did was on uh, effectively how what equipment the Saudis are now buying from the US and, and how difficult it would be for the Saudis to effectively divulge themselves from US arms sales. So lots of different versions of defense and whatnot. Um, and if you want to, you know, effectively get a crash course on, you know, what's going on in, in Syria or what's going on in uh, Ukraine or what's going on in the Central African Republic, then you can uh, check it out there. Absolutely. And there was a five-part series on the Green Line with all the complications of climate change and things like that. And, and just nothing as simple. And Mike's experts do a great job of breaking it down. It's usually somewhere between three to five experts. So uh, anyway, I again, can't thank you enough. I want to free you to the rest of your day. Happy New Year again. And uh, it's always a pleasure having you on the show. I really appreciate it. No, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. And, uh, sorry, I have to run through another one. I've uh, already got my uh, producer messaging me at the moment saying, hey, you're in the waiting room. You do not. You don't have to explain yourself to me. I'm pleased. Good luck on the other show. Thanks again. And thanks, everyone, thanks, for man. listening. And uh, check us out next time here in the garden. Me and no Bill, they will both come from Georgia and Hank out in New Mexico. We're bound for Durango. John Pancho and we hear that is playing gold. I guess a man's got to do what is best, and found nothing better so far. Been called mercenaries and men with no country, just soldiers in search of a war. And we're bound for the border with soldiers of fortune Where we fight for no country but we die for good pay Under the flag of the greenback dollar or the peso down Mexico way Oh, no.